Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. From Autosport.com and Autosport Magazine, I'm Martin Lee and this is the Autosport Podcast. Welcome to the end of, well, sort of the end of our current Le Mans series. There's a little bonus for you after we enjoy the race itself. But this is the last of the scheduled top tens uh, that we're going to get to at least before the day itself. And we're joined once again by our chief editor, Kevin Turner. And we're talking about the top ten Le Mans drivers. This sounds fantastically difficult for you to actually decide and order a top ten. But can you tell us, Kev, a little bit about the criteria for this? Is it... Is it standout performances? Is it over their career? What was your? How did you put this together? Uh, it, this is this is probably about the hardest one I've done over the what, the end of the fourth series. This this is the one I've spent the longest on probably. So yeah, so it's it's impact on Le Mans itself. It's standout performances. Uh, obviously results. I think it's probably worth you know, making clear that these these are winners. So I, I guess you know we, we've we've done a list already of the greatest sports car drivers that didn't win. I think of those, Bob Volick is the guy that probably had would have most claim to get into this list. We're also talking about outright winners rather than class winners. I'm um, not for one moment suggesting there haven't been some fantastic class performances and class victors, but outright winners across a career, impact on the race, uh, standout performances. Um, and then depending on the era, really, um, that's had to come into it as well in terms of what was required. So further back in time, I think mechanical sympathy was perhaps more important. These days, it's more about speed. Obviously, that's slightly simplifying things. But yeah, it's, it's weighing up what was needed within the times that they were driving as well. So it was it was very complicated. And I moved the drivers backwards and forwards and in and out and all about <laughs> quite a few times. But in the end, you just got to stick the list down and get on with it. As always, joined by our Le Mans authority, Gary Watkins. We're doing a little bit of uh, back to the future time travel again, because as we record this, you haven't left yet. But as of our listeners listening to this, you'll have already been there a whole week. So uh, that's just to explain behind the scenes of when, when we're doing this. Morning, Gary. How you doing? Yeah, not too bad. Just, uh, yeah, getting ready to depart, to drive down there, to make my my pilgrimage. It's an overused word, but I guess I guess it's fair for me <laughs> and for, you know, the 300,000 people who are going to be there, you know, 50,000 Brits or whatever. Yeah, and it, it will be my 33rd Le Mans, uh, which is uh, slightly scary. The most scary thing for me is this is the centenary year. It's the 91st uh, Le Mans. But uh, that means that I've been to more than a third of the Le Mans races that have run. Isn't that amazing? Okay, let's get into the top 10 list then. This is going to be an interesting one. And some of these some of these will present as twos, by the way, because they're a little bit contentious between our two guests today. Uh, Kev, kick us off. So number 10 is Wolf Barnato. Um, so 
nine, the winner in 1928 to 930, one of the Bentley boys. He's on this list. Uh, well, one of the main reasons on this list is because he has a 100% record at the 24 hours. There are eight drivers that won every time they appeared, but he's the only one that did that three times. So three out of three. Um, and I guess you could almost call him the ultimate uh, ultimate gentleman amateur driver, as we, were, as we might describe them now. Um, he had impressive family wealth. He was uh, he, he was pretty taken with Bentley's performance at the morning nine twenty four. Bought into the company and then thought, oh, I fancy having a go at motor racing myself. As I think I said on a previous podcast, he's one of those annoying people who's just good or whatever he turned his uh, <laughs> turned his mind to. He played uh, county cricket, of course, for Surrey. So uh, yeah, so just a true all round sportsman. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, w O Bentley regarded him as a very disciplined and error free driver. Which, uh, yeah, in a period where cars obviously weren't as strong, although the Bentleys were <laughs> among the stronger cars of the period, um, yeah, he had an incredible record. He was very, uh, very successful at Brooklands as well. Um, went to Le Mans for the first time in 1928 and, ha- and helped nurse the car with a cracked chassis to victory. I think in 1929, when he shared with uh, uh, with Henry Birkin, they were always likely to win. Really, with the sp- they only had this. They were the only speed six in the race, so they won quite easily and they had a, a one, two, three, four. And then the 1930 race against, um, you know, that we talked about before, against the, the Rudolf Caracciola Mercedes and the Dorothy Paget run blower Bentleys, uh, you know, it was a big old epic contest. Uh, and I think it's not probably not a coincidence that it's the Bernardo car that got to the end and won the race. So three out of three. Um, quite different to a lot of the other entries on this list, but I think a hundred percent record three out of three has got to has got to get you in the ten, hasn't it? Well, I, yeah, I mean, if that, if that doesn't get you in the top ten drivers, I'm not sure what would. Now, with a name like Wolf Bonato, you're going back almost a hundred years, going back to the beginning. How do you research a name and a driver like this, Kev? Is it is it just going through as many books as possible as you can? Because you then people who you've left out of this list. Maybe if we get time, we'll talk about them at the end. Um, are much more contemporary names, if that makes sense, that you've got much more general knowledge about. Yeah, it's probably it's the same as we talked about with the pre-war uh, Grand Prix drivers, isn't it? Uh, you, you know, you read as much as you can articles, books, other people's opinions of them, and you piece it together. There's probably it's probably fair to say there's a little bit of artistic license comes in in that. Yeah, you know, I tried to spread it across different eras. If we were talking about just the fastest drivers, we we just all we, we'd end up with mostly you know drivers in the last last few decades, and I I, don't, I think that would sell sell people short. So <laughs> uh, yeah, I wanted to wanted to get a nice broad spectrum of the different characters and and real legends of the race, uh, and I think yeah, I think Bernardo has to be there. It, it's harder, isn't it, to make judgments about about drivers from. Uh, beyond living memory, you know, I find it quite hard to make judgments about drivers I haven't seen race. You know, who who I wasn't there at Le Mans when they were when they were ha- having their big successes, and obviously we're going to be talking about a few of those uh, moving forward. One thing about Bonato is, yes, clearly his record is amazing. Bentley trumpeting his skills at nursing a car to the finish, you know, which was so so important then more so than now as you say but he was a guy who you know it was his own money paying for it and it's probably easier to make a judgment about a guy a driver who gets brought in to a factory team or whatever gets employed by a manufacturer because they were making judgments at the time based on what they saw and what they recorded in terms of times and said yes he's good we're employing him 
we can't say that about Bonato, can we? <laughs> no, that's true. Uh, that, that, that is true. But actually, the, the other thing that makes it difficult is the way that the race has been reported has changed as well. So, you know, these the last few years, I'm not saying this because Gary's here, but, you know, it, it's easier to pick out the star performances because that's part of the way we report it. Whereas in the early days, it was more about the, you know, the, the race itself, the, the event, the manufacturer involvement, the cars, if you like. So I went through each race and tried to pick out the star performer of each year, if there was one. Uh, as a kind of just an exercise to help with this uh, and it's quite patchy in terms of, of being able to do that some years it's really obvious some years it's in there but you need to find it. in other years it's it's really tricky to find something okay let's move on a more contemporary name at number nine who is it Number nine is Jan Lammers, and he has to be in this list, I think, even though he's only got the one win from an appropriate 24 starts. And that was, of course, 1988, the famous uh, Jaguar win against Porsche that we talked about before, him him again nursing the car when the gearbox, you know, the transmission was, was on its last legs. Um, but that's only part of the reason he's here. For me, uh, I'd be interested to see what Gary thinks about this. Lammers made was one of the people that really made the race each year for quite a long time, even when he wasn't in what you might describe as obvious front-running kit. So when he was in the Dome, for example, with his own racing for Holland, you'd always look for Lammers, like, here he comes in the first few laps. How high can he get before inevitably the Audi pace kicks in more or he has some problem um, and I mean even in his first race he had a, he has a charge at Le Mans and actually ends up biffing Jackie Ix <laughs> in the backside <laughs> on the on the second lap in 1983 um, but it just uh, I think he was just a really fantastic driver you speak to other drivers that work with him and they all really rate him obviously we were fortunate enough to speak to, to Andy Wallace for another part of this series and he says you know he was a complete driver he knew how to look after the car and he knew how to rally the troops in the team to really drive things forward so I think a fantastic character uh, I've only had the pleasure of speaking to him a couple of times as your Gary spoken to him many more than that I've always found him uh, you know a delight um, and he was just a fantastic person to have on the grid so I think if you think Le Mans he might only be a one-time winner which is uh, less than the other the other people on this list but I, I think he, he deserves his spot. Yeah, and, and, a, and a driver that also helped other drivers come through. You've mentioned Eddie Wallace already, but uh, many others as well, and passing on his knowledge and, and talent. Um, what do you reckon, Gary, number nine for Jan Lammers? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's brilliant that Jan is in this list. Uh, there's, you know, he, he's a driver who sort of epitomises the spirit of Le Mans. He loved the place. Uh, he always drove well there. As, as Kev says, he's... Um, some of his performances in the dome when he was running that car himself always on the first couple of laps he'd have a charge and you know make a point you know probably we knew the car wasn't going to be contending at the end of the race but he always had a point to prove uh yeah and the other driver who perhaps we could have put in this is one we've already mentioned Andy Wallace who you know has a similar spirit um to Jan and they were they were both drivers who kept coming back uh again and again and had long histories associations with the race i think uh lammers is probably the one to put in uh just because of you know what he was doing as a driver late in his career you know don't forget the last year he was uh running his dome there which wasn't his last uh le mans by by any stretch you know he was just so good and i remember watching the times he was share um he was uh, partnered by stefan johansson another veteran who is of similar age and alex young who wasn't long out of formula one you know on pure pace alex young was a match 
for the two old boys. But when you actually looked at the times and things like in-laps and out-laps, they're all important uh, at Le Mans. Lammers and Johansson as well were absolutely destroying him. And I thought that was really interesting that they just used all their experience, you know, and their and their talents, which would have been fading. But anyway, you know, just to just to, you know, keep up the pace and just bang in those times out of the pits and into the pits. We've had someone who started three and one three and somebody who started 24 and one one. Who is at eighth on your list, Kev? Number eight is Raymond Sommer, who started the race nine times and won it twice, 1932 and 1933. He also set two fastest laps, which I know you might say, oh, 24 hours, what does it matter? But it's kind of, I've used it as a kind of indicative of race pace uh, at certain mm. points. And Sommer is quick every single time he, he does it. I would argue that he's a bit of a home hero. I think he's one of the quickest drivers at Le Mans prior to the Second World War. Um, he was pretty inexperienced when he contested, uh, and he'd only done the race once before, when he, in 1932, he did more than 20 hours of driving because uh, Luigi Canetti, his co-driver, was taken ill, so he had to drive the 8C himself more than 20 hours to win. He then he then forms, I think, one of the great Le Mans partnerships in 1933 with Tazio Nuvolari, yeah, the greatest Grand Prix drive before the war. Uh, and, you know, they, they would have had that race, I think, comfortably in the bag in their alpha had it not been for the infamous fuel leak and chewing gum and all that sort of stuff that we talked about <laughs> in the top 10 races. Um, so that's, you know, he gets two wins in the bag sort of early on. Uh, and then it just never really comes together for him again for the rest of the 30s. But he's always one of the star performers. And really, I think he should he should complete, he should get his third win in 1938 with the, the one-off 2.9 coupe Alfa Romeo. Him and Clément Biondetti are 100 miles in the lead. They've got all the big French cars well beaten when he had a, a front tyre blow, which he managed to save. But in the process of saving it, I think they did some damage that eventually put the car out. But it took more than an hour for the for the leading Delahaye to overhaul the distance that the Alpha had already racked up. I think I'm right in saying that had they been classified, they'd have still been third, third or fourth. I think they covered that distance. So, you know, that was a, that was definitely one of those sort of great Le Mans failures. Uh, so, yeah, fantastic character. Still quick in Ferraris after the war. Um, so, and I think he's one of those that's forgotten. A certain other publication did a 50 Le Mans heroes a few years ago, which is excellent list. And I agreed with pretty much all of it, except uh, uh, Sommer was missing entirely. And I thought I should write that wrong. So he's he's he's, <laughs> he's in my list. Uh, good. Well, isn't okay. that a good good point? Because I think if there hadn't been a Second World War, you know, he he might have gone on to uh, score more wins. It's a very good and, point. And you know, he would have he would automatically be in people's top whatever lists. Uh, but I think your point about the fastest lap. Uh, is is a good one because it's really all we've got to go on or it's one of the you know the amount of data we have from those races uh is limited unlike today where we can see every lap of every driver every sector of every every driver whereas you know we don't have a lot of information so if someone does get fastest lap i think we have to say we have to sort of take our hats off to that and say yep they were quick yeah, and, and in the reporting of the time, uh, you know, in the old days, they sometimes did a lap by lap for the first few laps, which, uh, and then obviously they wandered off to have various uh, various uh, sustenance, shall we say? Uh, and 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 somewhere is always in that leading group on the first lap, quite quite often in the lead after the first first handful of laps. 
and then it's a case of what what disaster will will befall him along the way or not. Was he the the a member of the first Le Mans super team when Alfa Romeo brought him in from a privateer car and placed him with their Grand Prix hero Nuvolari? Is that the first Le Mans super team? It, it it could well be, couldn't it? Yeah, I'm struggling to think of. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, Birkin and Bernardo is a pretty good combination. But that, but that was sort of more same, more organic, I would say. It, you know, yeah, do you know what I mean? Um, it's sort of yeah, bringing together uh, a manufacturer, bringing well, together its sort of you know top drivers. Absolutely, and actually, he he would have had a much better Grand Prix career, I think, had he not stuck to privateer machinery. Uh, so that's perhaps one of the reasons why his name isn't isn't better known. But every every account uh, and other drivers of the time basically reckon that he was on a par with the, the best of the era. Well, let's come relatively bang up to date. Who is at seven? <laughs> Number seven is Olivier Jean de Bien. Uh, started the race eight times. He won it four times in 1958 and 62-62. Uh, very versatile driver. Did rallying. Started 14 World Championship Grand Prix. If you remember, he's the yellow shark nose in the one, two, mm. three, four at Spa in 61. But he's he's known as an endurance and sports racing guy. I think probably to Le Mans aficionados, he's a name. I think perhaps to the wider world, he's maybe a little bit forgotten now. But he was one of those that was highly rated by his peers. He formed a great partnership with uh, Phil Hill. I don't think he was the fastest driver of his era. I don't think he was ever the guy you'd stick in and go right. We need a we need a nailed on. Uh, you know, rocket stint here to get us back into contention or or whatever. But he was a very safe pair of hands, um, very good on mechanical sympathy. In 1960, when Ferrari miscalculated on the fuel, they had a, a, a slightly different aero screen that increased their fuel consumption. They didn't take that into account, and two of the three cars ran out of fuel before the first pit stops. Gondomian was the one that managed to get his car. Gondomian was the man that managed to get his car back. Now, how much was that luck, and how much? Uh, was that him just being that little bit more frugal? Difficult to say at this distance. Um, but it was also him and Hill that kept their Ferrari going longest in 59 against Aston Martin. So he could actually have had five consecutive wins. That car only broke down the last few hours due to overheating. Um, so just a really good feel for the race, good mechanical sympathy. Um, could yeah, say so could have won it uh, five times from eight starts, which would have been pretty, pretty amazing. I guess he probably doesn't get higher, partly because of the speed and partly because you could argue, well, some of those wins were against fairly limited opposition in terms of outside of Ferrari. But I think, that, again, it's not a coincidence that him and Hill tended to be the drivers that got the job mm. done at Le Mans. They're two uh, drivers who are always described as gentlemen, aren't they? And I, I think that probably translated into the way they drove their cars. They weren't aggressive with it. And, um, yeah, they were able to get the most out of it without breaking it. Uh, the other thing about Jean de Bion for me is that, of course, he retired quite early, age 38. You know, he was... he After winning he, in 62, pretty yeah. much. <laughs> and, you know, had he hung around... You know, Ferrari had a, a another couple of wins before Ford came along. You know, he, he could have he, he perhaps could have won it more, couldn't he? And then, and then we would probably look at him in a slightly different light. All right, let's move on. Last name before we take a break. That's our first five done, and a name that I think Kev you recently argued up the list from the first draft that I saw. Yeah, so number six is Andre Lotterer. So he's almost unique in this uh, whole series in that he is a an active current driver who could yet add 
to his uh, Le Mans stats. So at the moment, uh, as we record, it stands at three wins from 11 starts, one pole and four fastest laps. Wow. Uh, and that's second on uh, on the all-time list to someone else who might be further up this ranking. <laughs> um, and he's here, he's almost the opposite to Jean de Bien. I think if you look at the high-tech LMP1 battles of the 2010s that Gary's talked about before, you know, you're into such reliability and quality of... Uh, of the battles between uh, different times, Audi, Peugeot, Porsche and Toyota, that it became flat out. Um, you know, one of the races won by just under 14 seconds, you know, that that sort of thing. Uh, and I think Lotterer stands out more often than any other driver during that period for his stints uh, at the race. In fact, I think one of the, you know, 2013, the race he didn't win, he won in 11, 12 and 14. But that car, the number one car, perhaps should have, have, have won that race as well. I think it was an alternator problem, I think it had, Gary. Um, so it could have been it could have been four on the trot during a really competitive era. And I think Lotter in each case was a real uh, a real star uh, of, the, uh, of, of the crew that he was on Um with Fassler and Trellier, not 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 to cry in their efforts at all, of course. Mm. Um, so yeah, he stands out as I think the most consistently impressive and fast Le Mans driver of this high tech era. I'm not going to disagree with anything you've said. For me, he was uh, the best Audi driver of his time. You know, that's not to sort of decry Tom Christensen or or Alan McNish. You know, who 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 were there at the same time, but obviously they were at a different stage. Uh, of their careers but and for me Lotterer well, was the standout driver not only in terms of his pace uh, but I would say he was I I'm not going to say he's the perfect sports car driver maybe not but he he understood the big picture like like your Christiansons like your McNish's like like your Lammers like your Wallace's who we've talked about and I suspect like your Jean de Bion's uh, you know, they knew it was a team sport and that that sort of the atmosphere within the team, how you work together uh, was just so, so important. And for me, that combination of Andre Lotter, Benoit Trelier and Marcel Fassler is is certainly the best ever trio partnership in, in Le Mans history. That's a separate article. On that yeah, yeah, well, that's one for that. next year then. I just think that, <laughs> yeah, I just think they, they were... I mean, it helped that uh, Andre and Ben were good mates from their time in Japan previously. And as as Lotterer once said about Fassler, that he's the nicest guy in the world. So they all fitted together well and they just sort of, they had a camaraderie. They were like free cavaliers going racing. They enjoyed what they did. They took it seriously, but but they knew that there was that there was a big picture there that, you know, it was about them winning, not the uh, not an individual performing. And that team element is one of the reasons why Le Mans is different and why so many people love following Le Mans as well uh, from so many other series of racing. If I can try and segue that into talking about the Autosport team, it's a team effort from everyone this weekend. If you'd like to follow all of the action, uh, not only uh, online, but of course across our social media and things like that, however you tend to consume your racing these days, I'm pretty sure we've got it covered and after the event, if you want to read some fabulous coverage, and personally, I love the photographs as well. Uh, I love going online for the instant stuff, but then I love to sit down with a magazine 
because I'm because I'm old and I like to look at pictures in a magazine. There's just something different about sitting down uh, a certain time of day when I just got five minutes to myself and just look at some fabulous, fabulous coverage. Autosport magazine out next Thursday with all of the coverage, of course. So that's our first five at uh, ten. Wolf Bonato, then Jan Lammers at nine, Raymond Summer at eight, Olivia Jean de Bien at seven, and Andre Lotta at Lotta at six. We'll get into the top five after a quick break. Okay, let's get back into our top five all-time Le Mans drivers. Fabulously difficult list for Kevin to put together, and we're going to get into the top five right now. And this is the only name that we'll present individually because the others, I think, need an argument. So who's at number five? So number five is Phil Hill. And to be honest, Hill, Lotter, and Jean de Bien, I moved around, up and down, and in and out. Uh, in the end, I went with <laughs> Hill in, in at five for a couple of reasons, really. One is, I think, compared to Jean de Bien, he's got he's got that pace that you need as well. You know, he, he scored a pole. Uh, with uh, with Ford after he after he scored his wins with Ferrari, mm. um, he set three fastest laps. One of which was a new lap record in 1962, and that lap record has stood for a long time. Back to the the big bangers of pre 58 with Mike Hawthorne, and he finally beat it in the the, the actually quite ungainly looking 330 TRILM, which is a very odd device but pretty effective. His finishing rate isn't brilliant, but I think that that's more to do with some of the cars that he had rather than, you know, I, I've not read anywhere that Hill was a, you know, hard on the machinery, he had success in all sorts of different sports car races, he was highly regarded by his peers, um, and I would argue he was a better endurance racer than he was a Grand Prix driver, probably. Um, so he won in 1958, 1961 and 1962. Um, as I said, he could have won in 59 with Jean de as well. They had a late failure. 1960, he didn't even get a chance to drive because that was the one year that they separated Hill from Jean de Bien and Wolfgang von Tripps ran out of fuel before Hill even oh. got to get in the car because of the miscalculation that I mentioned earlier. Um, obviously, he then joins the you know, after his time at Ferrari. In those three wins, he joins Ford, and he's quite often the the point man at that stage. You know, he he's the he's the quick guy in the, or one of the quick guys in the Mark One G40 in in sixty four. Then he's then he's uh, he takes his pole in the I've described hastily prepared Mark Two when they decided that maybe the the small block uh, engine wasn't big enough. Uh, and then he was also quick in the chaparral, so he was always he's always a factor. Was he the absolute fastest? Probably not. But he combined that with, uh, you know, not not being so hard on the car, and I think probably was one of those that saw the bigger picture as well. Him and him and Jean de Bien in particular, were, I think, uh, one of those sort of clever combinations, like the ones that Gary was just talking about before the break. So he had to be in there. Hit five, six, and seven were all kind of much of a muchness for me. But yeah, he just nipped into the nipped into the top five on the basis of though the wins combined with the speed. Yeah, and he did start more uh, Le Mans compared to the others as well. Gary, what are your thoughts on putting Phil Hill at number five? Yeah, is it, he, Hill's one of those drivers who has probably got a bit of a rum deal in history, hasn't he? The, the people say, oh, he, you know, he is least talented Formula One world champion ever and things like that. But yeah, as as uh, Kev said, he was highly regarded by his peers. I think uh, Dan Gurney was a driver who talked very highly of Phil Hill. And then, you know, he was brought to Ferrari really as a sports car driver, you know, obviously started uh, and then obviously moved into Formula mm-hmm. One. Uh, so, um, so yeah, it's sort of, I, I think he deserves a place here. Uh, but would I put him ahead of uh, Lotter? No, I wouldn't because I just think Lotter was the standout driver of, of his time. Uh, mm. Yeah. I would say that. 
Interesting. Well, let's move on. And four, three, two, one. Well, we're going to do them in two twos because I think there's uh, maybe some disagreement between our two gentlemen today. So, Kev, fill us in. So, number four is Henri Pescarolo, and number three is Derek Bell. So, Pescarolo has the record for the number of starts, which uh, Gary will be matching this week <laughs> uh, on 33. 33. Uh, 33. Uh, from that, he had uh, four wins, the hat trick with Matra in 72 74, and then that sort of uh, decade later, the, the, uh, the first of the two famous Yoast 956 wins uh, in 1984. Uh, he got he got one pole position, which is during his matra period, and I would argue that he perhaps wasn't as he's not the quickest driver on this list. I think perhaps in his early days, he you know he was. Let's face it, he was a you know an F one driver or, or or just out of F one. I think perhaps later on, he was perhaps leaning a bit more on the experience and not falling off and that sort of thing. But that's that's part of the game as well. Um, and but he's just he's just one of those yeah he is oh we were talking about Jan Lammers Pescarolo he's just one of those Le Mans legends you associate him with the race because uh, obviously after he was a driver he had a team as well um, he's just one of those one of those faces that you intrinsically link to the race uh, and Derek Bell's kind of similar really but his his record is uh, I, I would argue even even stronger. Um, he doesn't have any poles or fastest laps, but I, I don't think that should be seen as Derek lacking pace compared to to Henri. I think I think Bell could show a good turn of speed. He won it five times: seventy five, eighty one, eighty two, eighty six, and eighty seven. He's often seen as the foil to Jackie Ix, uh, but I think that's probably a little bit harsh. He did win seventy five, eighty one, and eighty two with Ix, but he also did win it with Hans Joachim Stuck and uh, Al Holbert. Uh, there's yeah the second of those is his fifth win uh, against you know mighty Jaguar assault when the other Porsches hit trouble so they were very much fighting a lone battle so that was a strong drive and actually I think you could argue some of his best performances at the Mall races he didn't win so 83 as we talked about before you know he's charged with cracked brake discs uh, right up to the very end of the race he was almost on lap record pace with a car that wasn't working his drive in the wet uh, when he shared with his uh, with his son and Andy Wallace in 1995 in the McLaren, you know, when he was, you know, an old man in, in motorsport terms, he was still quick in the wet. And in 88, had it not been for Klaus Ludwig uh, and, the, and the running out of fuel, could that have been another win? So suddenly there are three more wins that you might you might be able to attribute to, uh, to the Bell. So I think it's on his overall performances uh, at Le Mans, I think a stronger... Uh, so that which is why I've put him ahead of of, of Pescarolo, but they're both they're both absolute Le Mans legends, and Le Mans is probably what you think of first when you hear both their names. Gary, you're not convinced with this order in three and four? No, I'm absolutely convinced by it because uh, I, Kevin and I have had a discussion about this. Ah, and I, okay. Uh, and I think on a draft list, list, it might have been the other way around. But I, I, oh, I, okay, I, I right, okay. Remember. My point sure. is, and I, I'm going to disagree with something that Kev said there about. Pescarolo not being absolutely the quickest because I think in his pomp, you know, and we're talking the Matra period, he was bang on it. Okay, you know, they had a lot of other French stars there as well. But I think, you know, he, what he did there and what, you know, what he did at um, at Spa on the old Spa um, long course in the match of flying round at what was it 160 something mile an hour average, uh, which sounds... Uh, plain scary to me but yeah in his pomp he was the quicker driver than Derek uh, but I would say in terms of um, how quick they remained in the latter years of their career I think Derek Derek hung on to his speed for longer you know right to the end of his his Le Mans 
career after he drove the Harrods McLaren run by uh, the the late Dave Price, who sadly died earlier this year. He he returned the next year and was sixth in a year that the uh, McLaren wasn't nearly as competitive. But, you know, he his drive in 95, everyone sort of trumpets JJ Leto's uh, drive in the winning car in that very, very wet race. But, you know, Derek and Andy were, were just amazing and, and, and basically did the majority of the driving in that Harrods car, which would have won, but for a, a clutch release bearing uh, problem. Uh, and, and then the other thing we shouldn't forget is Derek was nigh on 40 when he got his big big break with Porsche. So most of his successes came on the wrong side of the big 4.0. Uh, so I think that's, that's something that we need to look at. But in terms of um, strength and, you know, speed over a long period, uh, it's Derek who is the... St- is a standout among those two. So we presented four and three together, uh, two people with incredible histories at Le Mans. But we're going to top it now with numbers two and number one. Okay, Kev, here we go. <laughs> so I think I don't think anyone will be surprised about the num the two twos because they are yeah the, the, the top two because they were the original Mister Lamont and the current Mister Lamont if you like, <laughs> um, but the order was very very hard. So I've gone for number two Tom Christensen and number one Jackie X. These two I think are clearly the top two. It's always going to be one of these. And yeah, I've wait, I've I've not wasted. I, I've spent many a long, <laughs> many a long hour. I've looked at it. I've tried to slice it in different ways. Now, obviously, Christensen would be probably the easy number one. He's got the records. He's got you know he's got the nine wins famously. Ninety seven, two thousand to two thousand and five, two thousand and eight, which as we've said before is one of the great Le Mans wins, perhaps the greatest. And two thousand and thirteen. So he's got nine wins from eighteen, and he had another two that went begging. So he could have been on eleven. So that he would have been the easy choice. The reason that I've put Ix there, who's got six wins, uh, 1969, 75 to 77 and 81 and 82, is I think he probably has a bigger impact on the race and his, his races, his crews, his victories than TK. Now, that's partly a result of the eras in which they operate, so that's perhaps a bit unfair on TK. TK is part of, obviously, the Audi steamroller, um, and then obviously that the, the, the win at Bentley when he when it went across to that, um, whereas Ix I think almost single handedly wins or, or stars more often. So I did one of the things I did to compare them was I went through and as I say I picked out the stars of a given any given race, um, and I ended up with Ix with four and a half points and TK with two and a half um, because there were some definites and then there's somewhere they perhaps shared with someone else um, and. Uh, two of the great Le Mans drives come from X. 1969, he wins that race for with the Ford GT40, I think. And of course, 1977, when he puts in one of the greatest guys talked about before, one of the great, well, it's more than one stint. <laughs> I was going to say stint, <laughs> but it was <laughs> one of the great performances. So uh, does TK have an equivalent? Maybe 2008, obviously 1997, he starred as a rookie. But I just feel that X has a bigger impact as an individual on the race and on the victories that he scored. Uh, and, of course, he was also from an era when there were two drivers per car instead of three. Again, that's more a function of the time. So you could well say, oh, that's a bit unfair to hold that against against TK. But it just felt right to me that Ix, Ix gets it. And then the final thing I looked at was we're talking raw pace. Ix holds the record for the most number of poles with five and the most number of fastest laps with five. TK uh, had one pole and three fastest laps. 
So, uh, yeah, in terms of wins, TK's got it, but I just felt in terms of impact and, and being the guy at Le Mans in the given year that he rocked up, Ix takes it. Well, like you, I'm torn. You know, there, there are only two candidates for positions number one or two, aren't there? Uh, and I think we had a discussion uh, a while ago when we were recording some of these other podcasts that hopefully you've listened to out there. Uh, and I think I, I made a... Uh, I said, oh, no, it should be Jackie X. I've changed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I thought, why? I thought about this. I, too, have spent a lot of time thinking about this. Kev's point about the impact... Uh, that he had on the race uh, or sorry he had on the sort of the part he played the impact he had uh, on the race and in the role within the team of of a car that won the race I think Tom is equal if not uh, superior in that regard to 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 Jackie right and I'm going to say okay let's go back to his his debut um 1997 comes in at the last moment to to drive the Yoast uh, Porsche WSC 95 uh, absolutely stars gets in the gets in the car you know brings the performance up gets it in the ballpark I think his other teammates uh, Alberto and Johansson reacted to that Tom also did uh, now I, I think I'm gonna I, I think I'm gonna embed I, I was gonna say he did a quintuple <laughs> quintuple stint on the tyres but I'm actually uh, that's not correct in those days a triple was sort of the norm and he extended it to four but uh, but uh, in my mind I think because nowadays people do uh, quadruples I'm sort of I'm I think I'm embellishing it to say he did five uh, sets on a set of tyres good years by the way and that was the last non-Michelin overall victory at Le Mans mm. uh, so I think absolutely central to that victory was Tom Christensen um, now I'm going to say Bentley that he was very important there in knitting the team together because it was quite a disparate team because you had the sort of Richard Lloyd crew uh, from Apex, you had Yurst uh, coming in to run the winning number seven car, you had RTN up in Norfolk who built the car and I think Tom provided the sort of glue in a way that sort of helped bring it together. Ditto 2004 with Team Go, the Japanese team. You know, early in the season, it didn't look like a winner, but I think Tom helped mould it with the help of uh, Audi Sport engineer, uh, Joe Hausner, who'd been the engineer on the uh, Christensen Piro Beeler car when it did its hat-trick 2000, 2001, uh, 2002. But they turned a team that didn't look like a Le Mans winner into a team that won uh, Le Mans. Then, of course, for me, the... uh, you know, obviously he's part of the greatest Le Mans ever. He's in the winning car that that overcame the odds uh, to win in 2008. Um, and here's a little thing that he was very crucial in that super team of himself, uh, Alan McNish and Dindo Capello coming together. Because I think uh, Dr. Wolf Gang Auric, boss of Audi Sport at the time, just wanted to sort of reconstitute the hat-trick team Christensen Piro Bieler from 2000 to 2002 when the new turbo diesel the T the R10 TDI came up came in in 2006 that was what uh, Auric wanted to do Tom was instrumental in saying no uh, I and he, I, I want to be a Valen and then obviously they both had a connection with 
dindos so he sort of came together as as the third driver so i think that's very uh that's that's something he played a part in because had there been no super team back to that that phrase again uh, at audi in 2008 audi wouldn't have won um wouldn't have won Le Mans and Peugeot would have won so so I think there's lots of reasons why why Tom should be number one that he he did have a defining role in so many victories you you could argue that if Le Mans is about uh the the team that that TK is the ultimate team player oh yeah I uh, think so in that regard Uh, so in a way he would be an entirely uh yeah entirely justified uh number number one that that that, that's what I mean really I flitted batters and forwards and I I just went for I just went for Ix uh as I say on the basis of the of the perhaps the individual on track driving performances but maybe that's not Maybe that shouldn't be the main criteria. I mean, I'd be interested well, to hear what other people think, actually. Uh, Kevin.turnerautosport.com, drop me an email. <laughs> I do, I do uh, think, you know, I think there are plenty of years when, uh, you know, okay, Jackie has his, you know, his 69 finish, he's through the night hauling it back in 77. But, you know, uh, Tom has in the night in 97, he has that great performance in uh, 2000 and eight uh let's let's also talk about 2007 when they should have won when they were four laps up when a, a will nut came off that was the same the same combination uh you know okay they're not they're not they that drive and perhaps 99 when he was also four laps up in the bmw with uh, leto and muller you know there wasn't the same sort of you know in in um X's favour is is the finish, isn't it? In uh, in sixty nine, and then it's you know in seventy seven. Clearly, he he was the standout driver, and you know drove a lot of time in the car, and and hauled it up and put pressure on Renault. So those are the sort of defining things. But yeah, I think Tom has got two as well. Plus, you know, many, many strong performances. Plus, he had this role in knitting together teams. I think that one thing you could say about X is that you could argue there was a period where he was the de facto fastest driver at Le Mans. I'm not sure whether you would say quite the same about TK, but yeah, no, on the other hand, maybe you say, maybe you would say that's a function of the time because part of X's career, yeah, there was that Le Mans had sort of peaks and troughs, didn't it? Whereas, yes. pretty, whereas. T- Ah, oh, it's uh, yeah, it's it, it's so tricky, isn't it? But uh, no, and also they, there were all those things that TK were, were strong. You would see if you're comparing the the two eras. Obviously, um, Tom was competing against thirty three percent more drivers in <laughs> in in his class, if you like. Because yeah, although were, he had the, he also had that percentage help in the car. Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I would put Tom top, but I'm not. I'm not gonna cry. And say, oh, it's disgusting uh, that Jackie is number uh, one because clearly uh, they are. It, clearly, Jackie, you know, an amazing driver, and he does have those defining, those defining moments. Two of the great Le Mans stories in the history of the race. That's of you, course you, celebrating its centenary this year. Absolutely, I would like to say that you know that you could have the other, but they're both absolute legends. Top top drivers yeah they're they're two of the people that have made the race what it is in fact all of these drivers on this list have but i think these two perhaps the top four i think for different reasons really feel like they're part of the fabric of the race 
one way or another. Um, I suspect probably a lot of fans it will be dictated by perhaps their age and you know when they came to sport as to who they who they prefer. Um, but yeah, they're all yeah they're all absolute legends and and help make the race you know what it is. When you're watching this weekend, uh, you may see. Uh, that Tom Christensen has the role of Grand Marshal. Mr. Le Mans himself will, uh, will, has the privilege of guiding those cars through the formation lap for the centenary race. So still playing a very, very important part in the event this weekend. Uh, let's have a, look, a quick look, uh, Kev, at some of the names that didn't quite make it. Some honourable mentions, those that were on the bubble. Uh, well, yeah. So we've already mentioned Andy Wallace. I think he he was very much on the, on the bubble. One win from the twenty one, but I do think that Lammers had the stronger case for the sort of one time winner entry. And then the other two uh, uh, that I had that I kind of moved in and out of the list. One was Yannick Dalmas, who scored a third of the, you know a third of the wins when he went there, uh, and with different manufacturers as well. He didn't quite make it for a kind of an, uh, an exaggerated version of what I was just saying about Ix and Christensen. I don't think he was the point man at any given moment. He was, yeah, he was obviously a good solid performer, but didn't you know, quite make it into the absolute top echelon against these guys. And the other one, the the, the strong one, um, Alan McNish, you know, three wins, a pole, two fastest laps from 14 starts. Uh, and I think he would probably argue that he should have had a co- at least a couple more, which would elevate him onto the list. One of the reasons he didn't make it in was, uh, you know, I think probably more than anyone else on this it, that did make it into the ten, the architect of his own demise on a couple of occasions with with offs. The, the most obvious one, that enormous crash going past the uh, the Ferrari that we we talked about in a previous episode, absolutely huge crash. Um, so he he's he's very much on on the bubble in terms of ability. Uh, you know, just to be clear, these aren't the ten fastest drivers that have been at Le Mans. Hopefully, we've made that clear that it's much more complex than that. But there were, t- I would say, McNish was the star of two thousand eight, even more than Tika. I think he was absolutely incredible there, uh, and and he would certainly have been a strong candidate for, for the list. But I don't know if there's anyone that Gary feels that perhaps should be added as well to that list. No, I think uh, Yannick um, Dalmas, you know, is is should be should be mentioned here. Would I? Would I? Uh, knock anyone out of this top ten for him? I don't think so. But it's a good point what you say. He won. Um, he won them on with four different manufacturers, and he was he was again a, a guy who would come into a team and in his own uh, unique way would help mould it. Sometimes, uh, not always. I think. Uh, he, I think he quite often upset a few people. Uh, I know that there were rows at BMW when he won in '99 with uh, Martini and Winklehock. That you know that, that there was sort of the tortoise and the hare, and they were the hare, and it was very much uh, Yannick who was making them the hare. He was saying, you know, if we go flat out, we're gonna we're gonna break. Well, Do you mean the tortoise? Yeah, sorry. I've, excuse me. It is quite early this morning. <laughs> yeah, and you've been slightly busy. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think you know there are. Yeah, I, I I think you know an absolutely great driver, and you know I, I wouldn't I wouldn't question his speed, having seen him drive the nine hundred five uh, Peugeot, you know that ultra quick three and a half liter Group C car. So um, mm. I'm not sure, you know. Then the other people you might want to throw in, you know, obviously the other members of the uh, the hat trick winning squad with TK, so Manuel. Emanuele Pirro and um, Frank Beeler, you know, who both then went on to become five-time winners. So, yeah, it's, um, I don't know, I, I always find it quite hard to judge those and perhaps we overlook their role because of uh, um, 
because they were they were teamed with uh, with TK, who subsequently you know went on to become a legend. I think that's it. Neither of them were the, the point men for Audi, were they? They're they're not they're not McNish TK or um uh, or Lotterer later. They kind of seem to be the standouts. But obviously, five wins is pretty. But I can't I can't forgive Bieler for running out of fuel in 03. Yeah, right. I mean that is that's a catastrophic error, really, isn't it? Twenty four hour race. What we shouldn't forget is that in two thousand, uh, TK was actually just the fir- was the third driver. He came into that car. As you know, with just a short program of events, he wasn't a full timer Audi because actually he was uh, he was busy at Alton Park and Donington a lot that week that year because he was racing for Honda in the British Touring Car Championship. That was his his uh, regular program, if you like. And then it was only the following year that he, he replaced McNish when McNish went off for his dalliance with Formula One. So Tom came in as a uh, um, as a full-time member of the squad and drove with Dindo in America but then they obviously brought the, the 2000 winning lineup back together for, for Le Mans. Well, that is our podcast for today, gentlemen. Thank you very much. Again, because of the way that we t- have to record these things, because of schedules and things like that, we've mentioned it a couple of times, Andy Wallace is coming up in a future podcast about Le Mans 21 time starter Le Mans winner of course a real honor to have him on but you will hear we've recorded that already but you will hear it after the event itself which is just the way that we have to do things and and getting access to absolute legends like this we're so grateful to have him on uh, next week on the podcast make sure you stay tuned to autosport.com for all of Gary's coverage and the entire team, may I say, uh, that bring you the most excellent coverage of Le Mans this weekend. Have a great weekend, however much of the event you are you are watching, and we will catch you on the next one. Sports Social Podcast Network.